0: Uh, welcome this morning. Are you ready to dig into God's word a bit? Yeah. You are? are you, if, if you're not, you don't have to. You can go to sleep or get out your phone and, you know, get, uh, check out your emails, your Facebook and all that. Or you can go on the Facebook of, that's showing me too. You can do that. Yeah. All right. So we, we've been looking at Luke chapter, uh, Luke, the whole book of Luke all the way through, but today we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and we're going to be, um, this is a very familiar passage, and we're going to unpack it and look at it, and hopefully when we're done, it'll be, there'll be something that, that will say, this is the way we need to live. And so I'm encouraging you, would you mind standing for the reading of the gospel, It is, um, and there is, the yellow underline uh, is your cue to read together out loud. So it'd be interesting to see how we all talk together, but we'll try it. All right? So it says, behold a certain lawyer. Now, this isn't a lawyer like, you know, lawyers that we have today. This isn't like a you know, uh, lawyers that defend you in court or anything. This was a lawyer that, because they were so complicated in how to keep the laws of Moses, that they actually had lawyers that would tell you how to do it properly. Isn't that crazy? And so this, this was a religious kind of lawyer, but a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, tested him. So the question is, is a challenge, Tested him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So reality, he had no interest in, in, in the answer that Jesus gave because he was there just to trick him. That's really what he was trying to do. And uh, he said to him, what shall I do? He, he said to him, what is written in the law? So he says to the lawyer, what's written in the law? And, and, and what, how do you read it? And he answered and said, your part... Ooh, 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 stop. We're all over the place. I'm going to go with you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Ooh, that last part again. And your neighbor as yourself. Look to someone and say, You're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. All right? All right. I got you. and he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. That's the question. Who is my neighbor? Now you can turn to somebody and say, I'm not sure you are my neighbor. No, no I'm just kidding. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man, this is the answer. This is the answer to the question. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead, or looking like he was dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, I just want to clarify, this isn't, this isn't a priest like we know today. This isn't like an a Anglican priest, a Roman Catholic priest, or, or, you know, not even a pastor. Basically, this was a priest of the laws and religion of the Hebrew people. So, but I mean, that doesn't mean that a priest today couldn't do the same thing. I'm just saying that's not what it's talking about. Where, where was I? Oh. Ah. Likewise, Alevi, did, did we already do that? We did? So he went to him and bandaged. Did we already do that? No, we didn't do that. Where did we? Now, likewise, Alevi, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, we're on the wrong side. There, there you are. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. How would you ever expect me to preach? I'm so mixed up already. (laughs) So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said he who s- showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him go likewise. Say the last line but turn to somebody say go and look likewise. Alright. You may be seated. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ and um this is the story of the Good Samaritan. It has inspired uh, sculptures and poems and photography and several movies, uh, paintings uh, like the famous uh, Flemish painter Jacob uh, Jourdan's. It has inspired amazing stained glass um, uh, windows in a lot of the cathedrals in the churches around the world, like the Cathedral of Chartres in France. It is renowned, this, this cathedral is renowned for its amazing um, stained glass windows. And one of them, a huge window, a uh, beautiful window, has nine panels, and each panel describes one of the parts of the story of the Good Samaritan. And so you have hospitals, uh, many hospitals around the world that are called after the Good Samaritan this and the Good Samaritan that. And you have uh, charitable organizations like the Samaritan's Purse, things like that, that are named after this particular story. But what what has happened is actually the word Samaritan has been changed by all that. Because the word Samaritan means now someone who is kind, someone who is compassionate, someone who extends help. But, but here, if you read this story with that in mind, the good Samaritan, with that in mind, you will totally miss what is being shared by Jesus. Because that is not the intent of the story. I'm not against you having stained glass windows and all that stuff, but that's not what this story's about. In order as a follower of Jesus, we want to we want to incorporate this story into our life. And if we are going to view it from that perspective, we're going to miss the point. But as a follower of Christ, because the point of the story isn't just to hear it but it is to live it. The point of the story isn't to make a poem. The point of the story isn't to paint something. It is to live it. And if we want to live it, we have to place it back into its historical context, Palestine, 2,000 years ago. If we roll back the clock and we somehow were able to enter into a time machine and, and land and see this, the land and the place where Jesus walked on the dusty roads of Jerusalem and Galilee and, and all that area out there. If you look back, you would realize, number one, that much of the conflict that existed then is the conflict that exists now in Palestine, still today. There were these Divided worlds that were clashing. There was this huge military and political tension. The Romans had taken over by force the land. They were taxing the people. The Jewish people. And they resented it. The currency was Roman currency. And you see it in the story. It says he took out two denarii. And the denarii had the image of Caesar on it. And, and that was, again, uh, an offense to them. Because they, they, didn't, they, they, felt, uh, they felt abused and taken over by the Romans. And Caesar was the imperial governor. He was the boss. He was the tyrant who controlled the whole thing. And he took their money. And they hated it. and and Caesar also was worshipped and the Romans worshipped weird gods that to us weird gods they they worshipped Jupiter and Mars and things like that prior to the Romans coming in and taking over the Greeks had taken over uh, historically as well and so the Greeks had brought their gods and their philosophies and their stuff and their culture into the Jewish nation and they resented that as well in fact The Greeks forced their language to be the language that was spoken. And so the Jewish people refused to speak Greek. They would speak Aramaic, and Greek was the official language, but they they refused all that. And there was all these tensions that were existing. The Jews hated Greek. They hated Romans. They considered them uh, like swine, uh, like dirty swine. They, they, they didn't like them at all. There was huge religious and philosophical tensions because the Jewish people, they, they pride themselves of being the descendants of Abraham. And they pride themselves that this is the Holy Land. And they pride themselves as following the laws of Moses. But inside of their their religious circle, there were all these divisions. There were the Pharisees, and there were the Herodians, and there were the Sadducees, and, and there, were, there were all these the laws, uh, the lawmakers, the religious lawmakers, and there were all these tensions between them, and there were all the times... Arguing with each other about stuff, about things, and and, and this was in the environment that Jesus is standing in. He, this is the environment that Jesus was presenting this particular story. The priests and the Levites, they were coming down in the story from Jerusalem, no doubt returning because the Jewish people believed you had to go to Jerusalem to worship, and so no doubt returning from the temple. Uh, worshiping God there, and they were feeling pretty good about themselves and they were walking down this road in the story and then they see this man that is left as dead, and for them to touch a dead body was was would would cause them to be in quarantine for days. There were all these rituals when you touch a dead body, so it very Normal to understand that in their religious fervor, they would go to the other side of the road to make sure that they were far from touching this body, especially this body that would be bloody and messy. Because that's why Jesus said they looked, he looked like he was dead. So that to them, that would be unclean. Oh, oh get away from that. And there were no real reason why they'd want to engage in that situation. There were serious racial. Racial tensions. Jews despised and snobbed the Samaritans. They were half breeds and their religion was all a mix up of stuff. And they considered them a low, downgraded bunch, and they had nothing to do with them. There's all these these all these tensions. To this day, the Jews and the Palestinians are still fighting. And it's one of the most conflicting places in the world. They still, after 2,000 years, they haven't sorted it all out. And there's even more tension. There's the, there, there's the whole uh, uh, Muslim uh, front. And there's the whole Christian and the Greek, uh, Greek Orthodox and the uh, Coptics. And it's all a great big mess up there of, of tension. This story is birthed in a world filled with conflict, tension, hate, strong opposing views, discrimination, pluralism, racism, and in the middle of all this, Jesus appears on the scene preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And, and he's, he's bringing something completely different, and they are in the tension. All of a sudden they say, who's this guy? And they start they start, as, as, they, as, as they start conflicting with him, as we look in the book of Luke, we explore Jesus. How does Jesus respond to the tension around him? How does Jesus respond to the politics around him? How does Jesus respond to the racial discrimination around him? How does Jesus how does, how does he engage? And so I, I'm calling this the rules of engagement that we can learn from Jesus how we can engage the world around us. How can we deal with secular divisions, pluralism, all this, the, the way they, the Romans, the Jewish, the Samaritan conflicts. How do we do that? You can feel the tension in the air when the first question is launched. He says to Jesus, to test him, he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I want you to know he had no interest in the answer. He just wanted to know, to trap Jesus. The purpose of the question is to see what camp do you land on? How do you interpret things? And Jesus' response is in the middle of this conflict that exists around him. We also find ourselves in a society filled with conflict. Have you noticed any conflict around you in society today? All you have to do is go on Facebook. All you have to do is comment on Facebook and they'll attack you right and left. very often, it feels like when you're in a conversation with someone that you are stepping around a trap. And they say, what do you think? Ooh, You know, we, we just went through this crazy COVID season. And it was like vaccine or no vaccine. It was like mask, no mask. And on both sides, did you see the aggression people had? Oh, okay, lifting, Dying. Like the intolerance. Like, like some people were actually almost literally persecuted for their positions on it. Like it, there was no tolerance at all. Some people would just bark up and bite you. Like, like you, you wanted to say, oh baby, leave me alone. Like it just, it was, it was crazy. It was like stepping on a trap. And it reminds me of many of the scenes of Jesus where all the time he was being asked questions to trap him look at luke chapter 20 and i got it on the screen luke chapter 20 uh... keeping a close watch on him they sent spies who pretended to be sincere they hoped to catch jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor so the spies questioned him teacher We know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? I, I like the way he flings the coin. It's just, I think it's so cool. It's like the cool Jesus. <laughs> I think a little embellishment happened there in that movie. But, but, but did you notice the question? Is it, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Loaded question. Why, let's trap you in. Because no matter where your answer is, you're doomed, buddy. And Jesus is responding to the tension in where he's at. They hope to catch or trap Jesus in what he said so that they might hand him over to the authorities. In the same way, today, and we can learn from Jesus. In the same way, today, our present day is full of traps and divisions and conflicting issues. We live in a very conflicted world uh, and I, let me mention just a few things. And the moment I mention them, you're going to say, uh, what do you think about that? I, I can just say, like for instance, the Me Too movement. Ooh. By, by the way, uh, the, the, the ladies group that does, uh, helps out with sandwiches for funerals wanted me to tell you that men are welcome also to participate. Just a side note. They, they dared me to do that. Black Lives Matter, defund the police. And all the riots around that that circulate all over our world. The LGBTQ situation and, and the gender identity stuff. All, kind, you, all you have to do is go on any social media and everybody's fighting. The historical revisionism. Tearing down monuments, renaming streets. People get really hot about this stuff. Woke culture. Oh, stay woke, you know. Cancel culture. Global warming. Our Canadian politics. It used to be that we were a little more s- central. Now, <laughs> it's just like, boof, attack. Never mind the American politics. It's just like, do you realize that there are churches in the states that if you're not Republican, you're not welcomed in their church? In the love of Jesus. <laughs> or, or their big issue is guns. Guns. I talked to a pastor one time. And I said, D- you, do you have a gun? He said, I preach with one. <laughs> Can you imagine? Hey, you! <laughs> Jesus loves you. I don't. (laughs) I just look, what is this? You know, know, CNN, Fox News. CTV, Global News. You know, like, all this Christian nationalism. Like, we're going to take over the country for Jesus. And we're going to do it by force. You know, Jesus, have you noticed, he doesn't really get overly engaged in politics of the day, he might give them a, a smart answer just to get them out of his face. And he avoids the conflict issues and debates around him. He focuses on the mission that the Father gave him. He focuses on why he is there. He is on his way to Jerusalem. If you read the book of Luke, and when you read this, he's on the way to Jerusalem with. What God wanted him to do. And that was very clear. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him. What? Shall not perish. But have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is walking through a minefield of opinions and tension and political strife but he is focused on what he is called to do. Our focus as believers and followers of Jesus as imitators of him need to be also to to bring to light, to reveal to all the different sides and tensions and arguments to let them see Jesus. Because here's the thing, the real Jesus often gets lost, overlooked, and often gets distorted with the issues that we get involved with. It's a good spot to say amen. amen. What are you saying amen to? Oh. <laughs> this story, commonly known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. By the way, nowhere in the Bible is called the Good Samaritan. Because I think Sometimes we we see this story as the story of the good guy. But this story is not about how to be a good person. This story is an answer to a question. That's the whole crux of the story. Who is my neighbor? The religious man who poses the question is conflicted. Because on one side, he knows what the scriptures say. He knows that I am to love my neighbor. But he doesn't want to love the Romans. And he doesn't want to love the Greeks. And he doesn't want, for sure, to love the Samaritans. Because they were, ugh to him. And so he tries to rationalize all the conflicting things by, by coming to the conclusion that my neighbor are the people that are like me. My neighbor are the people that are part of my circle of, of people that think and live. People, descendants of Abraham, like I am. These are the people that are my neighbors. And so he asks the question to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He tries to wiggle out of the conflict that he is in. And Jesus points out to him in this story There's this, if you look at the story, it's just like the story has this rhythm to it, this beautiful rhythm. And and it starts with the question, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story. The first part is wrong answer. These guys are, they don't get it right. And then in the very middle of the story is the answer to the story. The answer's in the middle. Your neighbor is the Samaritan guy. But Jesus doesn't say to him, oh, by the way, your neighbor's a Samaritan guy. He tells the story to force him into the the conclusion of the matter. The Samaritan saw him and had compassion on him. And then there is the correct response. It's kind of like a poem. There's the correct response. And then there is the first question turned around back as the same question to the guy Who is your neighbor? And in the middle of that process, the person understands that my neighbor is the guy beside me. My neighbor is the guy in the road. My neighbor is the guy that walks along beside me. My neighbor is the person that I work with. My neighbor is the person that I interject with. And Jesus is saying to him, your neighbor, the one you need to love, is everybody around you. Everybody. Yeah, well, yeah but there's some people I don't like. You, you don't understand, Pastor. There's some people at my work that are jerks. How many know somebody that's a jerk? Come on, raise your hand. You know somebody that's a jerk? Did you point to somebody? I, I think, Don, you pointed over there, didn't you? I think you did. Have you ever had someone live beside you that was just annoying? Have you ever had to work with somebody that's annoying? Yeah, but pastor, you don't, you don't understand. Like, this, guy's, this, guy needs, this guy needs a punch in the face is what he needs. And then I'll tell him that Jesus loves him. I mean, the, the person you don't agree with is your neighbor. The person that has completely different moral values than you is your neighbor. Oh, it's getting rough now. See, here's the thing. The highest calling that I have above every other thing I do as a follower of Jesus is to love the people around me. My highest calling is not to convince them that they are wrong. is to, to point them to Jesus and to the love of Jesus. Or to point, my, my highest calling is to point out their sins or, or, or tell them like it is. Well, I told them. Now it's their responsibility. And they're walking away saying, what an idiot. Like what on earth? What does love look like in the story? What does love look like in the story? What do you find? Tell me. What do you see in the story? That, what does love look like? When Jesus tells the story, he kind of points out what love. What does it look like? Compassion. Compassion. Anything else? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. How? Money and
1: reputation.
0: Where, where do you live now? Are you a Trump supporter? No. <laughs> if you're a Trump supporter, get out. No. <laughs> are, are you Biden? Are you Trump? Or, no, I'm, don't answer that. <laughs> but it was sacrifice, wasn't it? It was sacrifice. He He came down to him and he got dirty. I mean, imagine... In the Jewish culture of touching blood and whatever else was there, and this guy, and I mean, he really was willing to do that and to take out of his own money to, to support him. There was kindness, there was resources that he, that he put there. And these, I suggest to you, this is the rules of engagement. How do you engage the world around you? You love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is that. You can, never, you can never overstep that. Even your enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. That's not a suggestion, guys. That's not a suggestion. You don't have to agree with people, but you do need to love them. Yet we have this crazy idea that if I show someone compassion, then I'm telling them I agree with them. No, there's a whole whack of people I don't agree with, but I am called to love them. He goes on to say, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, say, good for you, buddy. Sucks to be you. Oh, no, sorry. Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil. How do you overcome evil? How do you do it? By doing good. By doing good to them. When Christ, it says in First Peter, when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he suffered. When he suffered, he did not threaten. It is a complete opposite response to what the world in the conflicting world that Jesus was living in, a complete different response, is what Jesus calls us to. Absolutely opposite of what our natural inclination would be, he calls us to a different way. A different way of doing things. I see my friend Charlie Mead here. Charlie, would you just wave so people see you? Charlie has been in the the, um, funeral home business for many years and also did had stuff sold in the mall, and I remember all kinds of history. But Charlie did a post the other day, and I asked him permission if I could share it, but Charlie has met a lot of people. And I'm sure, Charlie, a lot of people you met, you didn't agree with them. But here's what he said in his post. The only only response for me to the chaos of the times of the times, is to show up with more light. Isn't that cool? Show up with more light. My sole desire as I walk amongst humanity is that I always leave a positive impact wherever I plant my feet. I want those around me to feel loved, important, and that they live lives, that their lives really means something. A kind word and even a warm smile can make a huge difference in a life and turn that life around. You would be surprised how many dear souls just want someone to talk to them. I'm not waiting for someone else to be kind or give a warm smile. I'm going to do both as as often as I can. I'm not waiting for favorable circumstances or for someone's life to change. I'm going to give it all I got to make this world a better place. And as I read that, Charlie, I thought of that little song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. How many know that song? See, here's the thing, and I'm closing with this this is a choice. Loving your neighbor is a choice. It's not a feeling. We have this crazy idea that love is a feeling. There, when you love someone, there sure is feeling. I get that. But love is a choice. A decision you make. That guy, when he saw the person laying there, made a choice. I am going to go. And do something about that. My favorite. One of my favorite verses. It's not my favorite. But I read it practically every day. As my prayer. Is is Colossians 3.12. It says. Clothe yourself. If you can read it. If it's big enough for you. Just read it out loud with me. Clothe yourself with compassion. Don't go too fast. Try it again. Clothe yourself with compassion. Kindness. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Just stop there. Just like Christ has treated you with the compassion, with the kindness, the Bible says he was humble. He humbled himself. Gentleness and patience. Just the way he forgave you, you are to treat other people that way. And then he says, over all these virtues, put on love. Like, this is the greatest one. Over all these virtues, put on love, which ties them all together perfectly. So he says, he starts off by saying, see it right on the front? Clothe yourself. How many know this shirt didn't come on me this morning by mistake? I picked this. I picked this shirt. You say, well, you should have picked another one. It looks ugly. I I don't know. But I, I put this shirt on. Why? I intentionally made a decision to put this on. And this is the same context. It's a decision you make. I decide that I'm going to be loving to that person. I decide that I'm going to care for that person. I decide that I'm not going to respond that way. I decide that I'm going to be compassionate, that I'm going to be kind, that I'm going to be humble, that I'm going to be gentle. I decide. And then he says, over all these virtues, over all of them, he says, put on love. I call it the overcoat. I brought my overcoat here so you would see, I, I, over all these, have you noticed if I put this overcoat on that my whole look looks different. But see, here's the problem, in the morning, when you go and leave your house to society, you have to make a decision. Are you going to go in your t-shirt or in your overcoat? So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't, I didn't come with my t-shirt, I have a t-shirt, you see a v-neck t-shirt? You see it? You want to see my t-shirt? Many times we leave home with the t-shirt. You know what the t-shirt is? What ticks me about people. And that's not what you wear. You wear the love overcoat. And that's what you decide to put on. And you walk and you you decide, this is the way I'm going to treat that person. This is the way I'm going to treat that other person. But very often, we don't think those things through. We just go with whatever feeling we have at the time. And that's not the way you live your life. That's not how you engage the world around you. You make a decision, Charlie, don't you? You decide, I'm going to love that person. I don't care what their philosophy is. I'm going to love them. Because that's the highest call. That's the highest call. That's the most important thing. And so we make that decision. See, this story is not something you put in a painting or put on a church. You can do that if you want to. Or call a hospital, the Good Samaritan. You can do that. This story is about your life responding to what Jesus said. Go and do likewise. This story is about compassion, about kindness, gentleness, above all things, the overcoat of love when you walk out into society, when you deal with people, deal with this first, put this on, and that is the most important thing that we can use as we engage the world around us. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You want to sing it with me? Isn't that cool? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. Just hold the clap. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. Underneath the bushel, no I'm going to let it shine Stand up! Underneath the bushel, no I want to hear a big no Underneath the bushel, no I'm going to let it shine Let it shine, let it shine Let it shine This little light of mine This little light of mine That's a choice. That's a choice you make. I'm going to let it shine. 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 <laughs> Put your hand on your heart and let's pray. Lord Jesus. We know that many times we're not good Samaritans. Sometimes we're pretty bad Samaritans. But I pray that we'll get up tomorrow and we'll say, Today I'm getting dressed. And today I'm going to walk out with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with patience with gentleness. I'm going to walk out forgiving people and shining the light of Jesus in the darkness and letting them know that there is someone who loves them and died for them to give them eternal life. And I pray, God, that we will live the love of Jesus in the world around us and that we would... Just avoid all the crazy conflicts and just share the beautiful, shining light of God in the world we live in. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray, Lord. Amen. God bless you.